It takes more than trying to preemptively think of all the things you could accidentally break that were added 12 years ago on your legacy code base just because you want to add a new feature to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 267. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I am your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast where we give advice on all the soft sides of legacy piles of poo. (laughs) (laughs) Where does that ring compared to spaghetti? (laughs) Like really old spaghetti. I feel like spaghetti is probably better. Well, yeah, I guess it's if it's rotten spaghetti. I was thinking like, you know how spaghetti dries out and gets hard and if you try to take it apart, it just breaks? Uh Uh-huh. That's what I think this code base is. Interesting. That's that's a good metaphor. What you may not know is that Jameson and I also have a legacy code base, but it's 266 episodes of recorded audio that we have to confirm that nothing we say on today's episode will contradict anything we've said in a past episode. (laughs) Or furiously refactor all the old episodes (laughs) to accommodate this new change in position. Yeah. That's like a 1984 thing. Like we we've always said, don't quit your job. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to thank our terrific patrons. Thank you so much to Nick Cantar, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Philip John Basile, Dennis Bogdanov, Travis Travis Sanders, Nick Hathaway, Taras Haruk, Bites of Wisdom with a Y, Ragnar Harrison, Oladapo Fade. Kiaran Sveinsen, FizzBuzz Influencer, Roman Denisov, Adrian Boarding, Jonathan King, TestingIsDocumenting.org, Will Angel, MonkeyFaceEmoji, Ira Chan, Patron.com.au, we're hiring, and Coshocton, Ohio. They helpfully included a pronunciation guide for that, so thank you. Oh, that was just, that was me. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Dave. Okay. Thank you to all these folks who support the podcast at a level that we shout them out every single episode. If you would like to support the podcast as well, you can go to our website, softskills.audio, and click support us on Patreon. Any dollar donation will get you access to our Slack team, where you hear great updates like how my ceiling is doing from when it broke during the, <laughs> the last, <laughs> some, some previous podcast recording, and your good advice from kind people. That's right. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Sure do. Hold on here. Let's just jump in. All right. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, I work for an all-remote company and I'm about to get promoted. The company says they target a salary increase of 5 to 10%. Assuming they come to me with an offer on the low end, like 5 to 6%, what's the best way to go about negotiating a higher raise during promotion? I want to stay at the company and also want the shiny new senior job title, so I feel like I don't have much leverage in this situation. Any advice is appreciated. Hmm... I think you just say to them, I'm targeting a salary increase of 10%. <laughs> and then it's done. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the, the meta point of this is that the question asker brings up leverage, and, and leverage mm-hmm. is a pretty important thing for negotiating salary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you maybe have some implicit leverage of if you're being promoted, they want to keep you happy and keep you around, and you can kind of lean on that and say, this makes me feel underappreciated or it doesn't reflect the value I provide or something. This makes me feel... You insult me, sir! (laughs) (laughs) This makes me feel underappreciated to the tune of, I'm quitting my job. That's that's leverage. (laughs) This makes me feel 5% unappreciated. (laughs) Take your 5% and leave. Get it out of my sight. Disgusting. Exactly. (laughs) What do you think they should do? You know, this is a very interesting year to be looking at these numbers because... At least in the United States, inflation is upon us to the tune of 
about 6%, which coincidentally is right around your low end. <laughs> and this is this is according to the Consumer Price Index, which I read about two days ago. I saw a nice, concise version of a report put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Is that just some fun, light reading that you do? Just check out the Consumer Price Index? It is a very long report, but they have this like ASCII art table showing all the different consumer goods and, and very actually lots of goods, food, automobiles. Do they have ASCII art pictures of them? Because <laughs> like, that would be rad. Here's an ASCII art banana. It's going up yeah. by 8%. <laughs> You'll notice we used a whole bunch of number eights to draw this banana. <laughs> and percentage signs for this percentage signs for the shading. Yeah, anyway, it was remarkably consumable. You know, used car prices are on there. Food is on there, gas, oil, energy, a bunch of stuff. Anyway, but the average of all these things is like 6% you know, for the trailing 12 months. So that's a little bit of leverage where you can say, look, anything under 6% is actually a pay cut. Yeah. I have not heard of using the consumer price index as a negotiating tactic before. I don't think I have either. (laughs) A novel invention, Dave. I think I'm looking at the ASCII diagram or ASCII table now. Oh, yeah. Everything should have ASCII tables. I know. It's so, I'm like, this is very approachable. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. You can see it. Yeah. Fixed width fonts, mm-hmm. just hand hand align everything. Yeah, totally. That's I can like our forefathers. <laughs> yeah, just like the for- <laughs> like our ancestors did. No matter what device it renders on, it'll be fine. I know it was awesome. I wa- I looked at it on my phone and I was like, this is really cool. I, okay, I'm putting a I'm putting a link in the show notes. Who needs HTML when you have fixed width fonts? <laughs> okay. The consumer price index is going. This in. is terrifying. I think this is probably going to make my life worse. Oh. Maybe I'll obsessively check this now. No, nobody click on the show notes. <laughs> You're not going to want to know. Used cars and trucks, 41%. I feel worse about the raise I got now. <laughs> They're taking money from me. Dude, that's right. I mean, it's crazy. Our Pretty much your entire career and mine has been marked by very low inflation in the United States. Like like record lows for the last 20 years. I'm not really an economist. Hmm. And even if I were, what I would say next is uh, would be even less. Well, the domain of your economics expertise, let's just say it's more celestial. <laughs> you're, you're a space economist. That's right. <laughs> anyway, I do think that we have uh, had a very un unusually low run for the last 20 years on the inflation front and so when you got like a five percent raise it actually was a raise but i believe this year a five percent raise will will not have the feeling of a raise when you pay your bills and buy your groceries well it would have until you told me this (laughs) (laughs) oh man huh well, don't worry because uh, medical care commodities are actually down by two point one percent. So as, as long as you buy a ah. lot of whatever medical care commodities are, yeah. What if I replace my energy consumption with medical care commodities? What if you buy then... pills to burn them for energy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to avoid that forty-one percent rise in gas prices, it's perfect. I think you could probably do some pretty sweet life hacks with these numbers. <laughs> You might experience some strange effects, depending on which pills you burn, <laughs> besides your car not right. moving. So there's a, I feel like there's a common principle in a lot of the questions we get, which is ask for the thing that you mm-hmm. want. And it sounds really 
trite and obvious when I say it, but it doesn't happen that often. And yet people don't ask for what they want. Yeah, they don't. So so they might have no idea that you are expecting or wanting a higher raise than 5%. If, if you ask for it, then your chances of getting it go way up. It isn't a foolproof thing, but it's better than not asking Absolutely. for it, in my opinion. And that applies to anything, whether you want to refactor 12-year-old legacy code or I, I want the consumer price index to fall, so I'm going to go ask <laughs> for it. In what, Twitter? Can you, can you at the consumer price index? Yeah. Well, no, I'll just, I'll just at channel <laughs> on twitter and at channel. <laughs> see what that does <laughs> it's like, there's got to be a channel twitter 10, account 10 million. is yeah okay yeah ask for it that's my that's my really helpful mind-blowing advice is tell them so you, you say assuming they come to me with an offer f- on the low end don't wait for them to come to you just say i i would love a raise of this amount can i expect that sorry uh, this just in breaking news i need to interrupt there is an at channel Twitter account, and all they do is retweet people complaining about at channel etiquette. <laughs> Who mention at channel in their tweet, so it, it mentions this account. I think so. Another one for the show notes. It's going in. So I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was busy looking for the at channel Twitter account. <laughs> oh, just the same thing, but with more words. The question asker says, assuming they come to me with an offer on the low end, so... Don't wait for them to come to you. You should go to them because it's going to be more work to change it after they already give it to you. More work, and it might even be so much work that the ROI is just upside down and they're going to make you wait till next year. This is yeah, something. I mean, it's possible that they might have to like claw back money they've already told other people they're going to yeah. give. They're going to give you more money or something. Which so. is great. I mean, I love getting a raise if I know that it's at the expense of my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> Just love looking them in the eyes Boy, and knowing. Nothing, nothing that makes me feel as good as a zero-sum game. <laughs> when I'm on the positive end and you're on the negative end, mm. Delectable. <laughs> Something that James and I have said a lot is you have to start having, you have to make these requests to your management probably a lot earlier than you think, probably months earlier than you think. In fact, if yeah. you've already been told by your manager that a promotion is on the way, it's probably too late to talk about the amount. And, uh, hmm. you know, like, I don't know, just depends on your company, of course. And the smaller your company is, the more flexibility they will have and the less advanced notice you're going to need to give. And the more guilt tripping your manager will work. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if it's some gigantic megacorp and you give them the puppy dog eyes when they tell you what your raise is and say, please, my my pet hamsters won't be able to survive on only 5%. Um, they'll, the person across the seat from you will be shackled by bureaucracy and say, your hamsters are not my concern because I can't do anything about them. <laughs> but if it's a smaller company, then you can influence them with emotion more. Yes, that is true. Is the best way of making decisions that <laughs> play on someone else's emotions. Yes, indeed. That is sad, but, but true. It's true. Anyway, huh. <laughs> there you go. Have we, have we advised this question enough? Let me just see here. What's the best way to go about it? Yeah. So, okay. How do you negotiate this? Well, you've already taken your biggest card off the table, which is the threat of leaving. That's uh, for better or worse, really just for worse. 
in our industry, that's the ultimate leverage. And so if you really want to you know, maximize your potential, you essentially threaten to quit. I, I, there are, in my opinion, there are better ways to do this, but that does have a really good track record. <laughs> so if that's off the table for you, then I think really do what Jameson said, ask for exactly what you want. And frankly, 5% to 10% for a big promotion feels like not very much. I don't know, but maybe it's like a mid-year thing. And on your next review cycle, whenever that lands, maybe you'll have a chance to do five to 10% again. And it could have, it yeah. could be a little bigger for the year. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you need a you need another promotion offer from a different department in your company. <laughs> a counter. Yeah, you need a counter promotion. <laughs> well, I like the senior engineer promotion, but over in uh in the in the data team, they offered me a principal engineer role with a twenty percent pay increase. What can you do to match that? Can you match this promotion? It's foolproof. Yeah, go for it. All right, that's all I got. I got nothing. Okay, I'm going to read our next question. This is from a listener named Rachel. Rachel asks, well, technically the pronunciation guide said, Rachel, with a lot of L's at the end. <laughs> Live coding makes me choke. As soon as someone else is watching, my brain immediately goes to mush, and I'm like a chicken with my head cut off. Actually, recently I learned it's not just live coding. It extends to live spreadsheet making and live cooking as well. Live I guess I'm not into performing. Anyway, this has come up because it's impacting my career in real ways. For interviews, I offer to do take-homes, which I'm great at. But sometimes I'm, I'm told live coding is the standard they apply to all applicants. Mm. What's a non-live coder to do? Non-live. So huh. you're, a, you're, you're better at dead coding? Is that what I'm getting? <laughs> dead coding. Uh, what is live cooking? Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, like cooking in front of an audience? Yeah, or maybe you... Uh, or just like one other person. Yeah, like you have a friend over and you're like, look, you just put the noodles in the boiling water like this. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. This, so I've, I've had an internal debate about hiring processes. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, I've seen this debate reflected externally as well in the real world, not inside my mind palace. <laughs> Every process has a trade-off, and you're making it easier for some group of people and harder for some other group of people. So the take-home thing, right, is great if you don't do well in live coding, like like this question asker. It might be great if you need a lot of time flexibility to do it. So you're saying is you do a take-home process, and you hire a bunch of introverts who don't like sunlight and keep their webcams off. Is that what I'm? <laughs> is that how that works? No, it's just. <laughs> I mean, to me, the benefit of a take-home for the candidate is you get to see more of a real-world indicator of their performance because the interview is so artificial. It's th That is not a normal work environment. You don't yeah. do your work in an adversarial environment ever. Although, frankly, that's a revolutionary new idea, though, for software development. <laughs> it's like the it's like pair oh, programming <laughs> taken to the extreme. It's like 10 to 1 yeah. pair programming audience edition. That's like mob programming, but the mob is like uh, an angry mob coming yes. after you. <laughs> and you're actually <laughs> running from them while coding. <laughs> yeah, the mob is chasing you. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the skill sets that could make you do well at live coding don't necessarily correlate with the skill sets that make you do well at the job because it doesn't reflect the job really well. Mm -hmm. at, at, at least the, the, el the elements of live coding that are unique from... That are distinct from the regular kind of code coding that you do is what you're saying. 
Yeah, like a people staring over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure on the outcome, maybe an unfamiliar environment or or technical setup. Uh, no, no time to like research or or think about it. Mm-hmm. So I guess my point is that I like hearing myself talk. What is my point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was my point. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, bring it back to the question asker. The interview at places where they do take homes. Yeah. You. So actually. I've seen this at a few places where they talk about having accommodations for interviews. Okay. What's that mean? I, I think it might be for like disabilities or, or something like that, but I'm not entirely sure. I wonder if that accommodation could extend to something like I, I would love a take-home exam instead of like live solving a leak code problem in front of you. Frankly, I don't understand why almost virtually like if you have a coding component to your interview process, why wouldn't it always just be a take-home? Because because it turns a lot of people off. I can tell you from experience that it is a filter that lots of people do not get through. But a, some of those the people would, would probably be good at your job. But but I mean, which filter is going to exclude more qualified candidates? Live coding or take home? Because to me, it's well, live coding. By a filter, I mean, you ask them to do it and then they say, I'll do it. And then they never they don't, do it because yeah. it takes too much time or I don't yeah. know. They just don't get around to it. Where the live thing, you just show up to the interview and then and then you do it as part of showing up. You just don't tell them in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to follow up at home with candidates. I've actually... <laughs> Knock I, on their door. I've actually found out that uh, the best way to maximize your hiring is just to have no interview at all and just say yes to everyone who applies. <laughs> it, like, it don't filter anyone out. We got all the qualified candidates. And a yeah. bunch of other ones too. I mean, there, yeah, there are people who would be good at the job who either will choose not to or be unable to do take home for some reason. But also you you're a kind of person who would be good at the job but wouldn't show it in the live coding interview. So, yeah. They're not good enough for you. So That's I mean, what I'm saying. I I'm reading into this question a little bit that says, you know, yeah, for interviews I I I offer to do take homes, but sometimes I have to do live coding. Fine. I'm also not good at live spreadsheeting. I wonder if this is impacting the career of this question asker a little more than just in interviews. Like maybe when it's like you're in a team meeting and you need to discuss a design decision or you need mm-hmm. to whiteboard an idea or a new architecture or something, maybe that's coming out, you know? Yeah, I was going to say that those should be collaborative, but there are situations where it could be a little more high pressure or high stakes when you're presenting something. There could be a debate, right? Like yeah. there could be two competing ideas and you need to weigh the pros and cons. Yeah, do you think if you got really good at live cooking, it would carry over <laughs> to live coding in any way? Definitely. They share a lot of letters. Yes. <laughs> in between those two words. <laughs> How could Very they be similar, those two words. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do I do think there's something to that. I I think, first of all, I think live coding skill is very rare. People who are just super comfortable and able to crank out code as effectively in front of an audience as they can uh, in, a, in the privacy of their own workstation are very rare. But I've seen a few of them, and boy, it feels like a magic trick when I watch them. It kind of does. It's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think, first of all, you're not alone in this. And I think if you insist on interviewing for jobs that have live coding as a component, the only way to get better at it is the same way you get better at everything. You practice it. How do you practice interview? You just do an interview. We've, we've kind of talked about this before. 
I have this bad habit of doing what I think is a practice interview and then ending up with a new job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not a, not really a bad outcome. Yeah. If it turns out that the thing you were practicing for was getting a new job anyway and you got it while practicing, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's true. No, <laughs> I just wanted to get good at interviewing. I didn't want a new job. Well, yeah. Really. I mean, interviewing <laughs> is its own end. It's its own reward. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, the joy is in the work. <laughs> So I had a friend uh, who, well, in my previous company, one of the interview, one of the types of interviews they did was called was called a system design interview, and these are like where you present a kind of a vague problem, and you the outcome you're looking for is a well designed system on a whiteboard with drawings and boxes and lines connecting them, and you yeah, know, a description of design the, a reservation system for classic, line classic, like right, classic. Yeah. Anyway, I had a friend, a former coworker at several jobs, who said, "I'm really bad at these interviews, and I'd like to get better, mostly because he hadn't done them." So I said, "I'll I'll interview you if you want." And he was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So I did it. I he came over to my office Wait. and. Was, was he was employed at the same company as you? No, he was at a, employed at a different company. Oh, okay. I was going to say that would be suspicious to me. Like, why do you want to <laughs> get better? Oh, at yeah, these? true, true, very true. So you're practicing interviewing, huh? Well, he and I have a pretty close relationship. So if he were leaving, yeah, I, yeah. you know, he would have told me. But anyway, for me, it was really fun. He did the interview. I asked him a bunch of questions. I treated him just like I would treat a candidate in a system design interview. And then at the end, we got to do something that I never get to do with candidates, which is give honest and complete feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It takes so much time to give good feedback to strangers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've talked about this before, too. The risks are are there. Without it becoming a legal liability. (laughs) Yeah, there there are certainly risks, and the cost to you of not giving feedback is invisible. That's right. You just get more time. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So anyway, that I found that to be fun. He really enjoyed it too. At least he told me later. He's probably like, "Oh my gosh, I'm never getting in a room alone with that guy again." <laughs> he grilled. <laughs> it. Thought you were my friend. Anyway, yeah, I think it's fun. It's a low pressure way to do that. Find a practice partner and do that with. And in my experience, you really do need an audience because if you if you practice just doing it with only yourself in the room, I think you don't give it your whole heart, you know? Yeah. That's what I would do. I like that idea of doing, when you said practice, I thought of actually going and interviewing somewhere. But I have found that if I really bomb an interview, it can take me a while to recover. I don't immediately walk out thinking, I've learned and grown and and now I will do the next one better. It's usually more like, I don't deserve to hit the escape key to exit Vim, like... (laughs) <laughs> or uh, and not even exiting them whatever to to vim so i like your idea of it, it feels like failure would be less costly in terms of your I e- know, morale i guess yeah, okay yeah your ego it, it, mm-hmm. it might be easier to learn from a situation where it's it's practice but more friendly still believe it or not i have often thought that if it would be really fun to set up a group where you just practice doing technical interviews with each other I don't know. To me, it's exciting and fun. And it, I don't know, it's kind of a hobby, but I don't have time to go and interview anymore like I used yeah. to do every month. <laughs> but, <laughs> Would uh, you really do it every month? No, no. I, I probably oh, okay. at my height, I did it maybe three times a year. Okay. Would you do the full interview loop as, as or as far as they went with you? Or yeah. would you cut it off early ever? I'm trying to remember. I mean, my goal was usually to get to an offer, you know? Because you got to practice every stage, including the offer negotiation. Huh. So I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't remember. It's been a long time, honestly, since I've been 
in that much of the mode of interviewing. Yeah, you already figured it all out. <laughs> well, what what I found is that as Why you become practice? as you become more senior, interviews become a lot more non-obvious that, that you're even being interviewed. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, can I take you out to lunch? Sure. And then an hour later, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a hamburger. Why are you making me? Why are you making me build a tree out of my rice yeah. grains? <laughs> exactly. So anyway, wait it, a it's minute. Just, this <laughs> is an interview. <laughs> this is a doubly linked list <laughs> out of hot dogs. <laughs> These sausage links. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, I, I mean, you could try practicing, but I got to tell you, live coding is kind of falling out of fashion, I think. I think. I don't have my finger yeah. on the whole pulse of the industry, but it's still being done at many companies, but it's also not being done at many companies. So I, I think you don't necessarily limit yourself too much if you choose not to interview at places that do that. Yeah. The the pool of companies you can still work at is pretty solid, you're saying? Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I, I've really enjoyed You said it's kind of a hobby of yours to think about interviews. That is one thing I really enjoy about interviews is comparing it to how I interview candidates and, mm -hmm. and kind of picking up new things from processes that I see or experience or, or taking out things that I experience or saying, I will never do this. It's, I don't know why it is satisfying, but it is. Yeah, I agree. Don't know why. Well, don't know why we've answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that means. Have we answered the question? Dave? I think so. I I mean the summary is practice makes perfect or if you don't want to do it avoid you'll have you'll be fine avoiding plenty of those companies that require you to live code. Gosh, sorry. I'm I'm stumbling because I just thought of an anecdote. Well, I have one suggestion. I swear this isn't a shill for a product or anything, but okay. I've seen this company. I think it's called interview.io or something like that, and they their product is um, interview practice interviews for engineers that if you do the practice inter interview really well turn into real interviews with, <laughs> with fancy tech companies whoa yeah so i guess it's sort of maybe some pressure there because if you want to get a real job from it then you want to do well but also you could just go in and say i'm here to practice and oh i'll bomb a bunch of these and so you have plausible deniability with your own employer yeah i think so so it's interviewing.io. I just found the website. Anonymous technical mock interviews with engineers from Google, Facebook, and other top companies. Yeah. It's a cool business model, I think, because if the interview goes well, then I'm pretty sure the company pays some referral bonus or recruiting bonus mm -hmm. and, and tries to get that candidate to actually join the company. Hmm. Yeah. We'll accept our, our retroactive sponsorship check any day now. <laughs> At your leisure. <laughs> I'll add that to the show notes. What was the anecdote you were going to share? Well, it was a live coding anecdote where I interviewed for my previous company back in 2016. Hmm. I just remember it was my very first interview of the day. There were five in a row, and the very first one had a whiteboard interview, whiteboard coding interview. And to this day, I still don't know the solution to the problem they posed to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it a lot. I even went home. Like, I just did not solve the problem, you know? Hmm. Like, I think I did a good job of, of defining and, and understanding the problem. But I did not solve it. And uh, hmm. to this day, I don't know why they offered me a job. And I guess the reason I share that is you don't actually have to be really good at at uh, live coding necessarily. Yeah. So you're saying despite you not coming up with a beautiful solution, your interview wasn't pass-fail based on just that yeah, portion yeah. of it. Yeah. You can recover. Yeah. I think as long as you demonstrate 
if if you fail in a way that demonstrates that you're competent, then mm. yeah, I could see that. If you just freeze up and can't type the whatever keyword you used for declaring functions in your language or something like that, <laughs> you, you forget how to turn on your computer, then that's probably <laughs> that's probably enough to fail you. But that's why you practice. Yep. Okay. Now we've surely answered the question. For sure. I don't know how we couldn't. Okay. <laughs> what should people do if they want their own questions answered, Dave? Go over to softskills.audio and click the ask a question button where you can fill out our form. And we just want to say thank you to everyone who does that. So many of you do that every week and we really appreciate it. We're making progress. We're getting through them. We'll get to them all before the universe ends. Yes. And we'll catch you next week. Bye.